Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to Hope for Today. We thank you for your support and participation. Hope for Today is an outreach program of Yield to the King Ministry, and our hope and prayer for our listening audience is that you hear something that is encouraging, life-altering, or prompting you to study the Word of God. We welcome your comments anytime, and we can be reached through our website at www.yieldtothekingministry.org. Today I have in my studio Tiffany Brinkley. She is self-employed as a financial services professional. And I had the pleasure of meeting Tiffany, oh, maybe about a year ago. And she and I sat down and we talked about finances. I was so impressed with what she knew and how she presented the information that I knew way back then that I wanted her to do a podcast with Hope for Today. And so today we have her on air with us here in the studio to share her wealth of knowledge and finances. And so with that, Tiffany, welcome to Hope for Today. And I greet you with a holy kiss, and I know our listening audience is pleased to be able to hear and learn from you today. So I'll let you say hello to our audience. Well, thank you very much for your invitation on to your podcast this afternoon and for some folks that are listening. It may even be early morning or late in the evening for them. So, hello. And I'm, I think it's a pleasure to be here today. hope I have some very good information to share. Oh, and I know you do. Thank you for that. So today we're going to talk about money matters. And money matters are its a sensitive subject for some. And the question today is, for our listening audience to be able to answer comfortably, does money manage us or do we manage it? Now, that's not a question that Tiffany or I can answer for you. We want you to be able to listen to what Tiffany has to say today, and then you can answer that question for yourself. So, Tiffany, you are a self-made financial services professional, and I would venture to say that you are a successful one at that. And I know just from what I have seen of you and have been around to experience, you are a driven person and you work very hard and you have worked very hard to get where you are. So with that, can you share with us what led you to choose financial services as your professional career and who in your life do you have to thank for it? Well, thank you for the question. The question, I actually have to kind of give you guys some background uh, because this coming into this profession, it wasn't something that I, I really chose to do just kind of out of the blue. I've always been very intrigued by money, <laughs> and it used to always be a running joke when I was a kid that if, I, if there was anything that I would remember, it would be who owed me money and how much they owed me. I never forgot that. Um, <laughs> money, I didn't grow up in a <laughs> – I, I cer- certainly didn't grow up in a privileged family, um, you know, which growing up, it used to be frustrating. But I, now that I'm older, I consider that to be a blessing in disguise, really. I, I do come from a family, well, at least half of my family that I know, uh, pretty well educated, my mother's side. 
and that she's the one that raised me. And growing up, I didn't really learn too much about money or how it worked from her. Although from my father's side, his side of the family was the side that, um, from what I, there were some educated folks on that side of the family, but for the most part, um, weren't as I want to say really privileged as my mother's side of the family. But he used to always tell me as I was growing up, you know, Tiffany, money is like a tool, just like a fork and a spoon or a hammer, right? You need to understand what it is, how it works, and how to make it work for you. He also Uh um, used to instill in me that I shouldn't be worrying too much about going to work for somebody else, but I I Uh need to learn how to hone my own skills and capabilities and go out and make a living for myself, so effectively become an entrepreneur. Now, uh, my father, was he wasn't around only because he was in prison my whole life, um, although he, he instilled a lot of different messages within me that I've brought along my journey. And uh, one thing that I would, was always curious about was, you know, looking at my family and comparing it against my friend's family, you know, what were some of the differences between them? And then uh-huh. uh, being that we grew up here in Washington State, away from the core of both my mother and father's side, which were largely based there in the East Coast and the DMV area, one thing that I started learning as I was digging into my family history was that, uh, you know, even though I grew up in a family that didn't have much as far as money or other resources, I, you know, at least for half of my family, um, the educated side, we come from a family from generations that were educated. So my great-great-grandmother, she studied um, education there at Howard College, which is now Howard University. Her son studied finance. Uh, which he was a military man and subsequently moved out to uh, the California Bay Area, helped uh, found a bank out there. And my grandmother, she was also an educated woman who was a real estate investor or was an aspiring real estate investor. She did have a few properties, nothing you know, really major in comparison. But knowing that as a part of my family history, it really made me really interested on, you know, how did they obtain the the knowledge to be able to go do what they did and – you know, so I started kind of doing my own digging and decided to go into business as um, huh? a, a focus of study. So that's what I studied in college and have always been fairly entrepreneurial. So at, at a young age, like 10 years old was when I started my own business, first business, I should say. It wasn't, you know, a real legit business. I used to go picking weeds and whatnot for my neighbors, help doing some house cleaning and whatnot. Because, you know, as a 10-year-old, what do most 10-year-olds want? generally toys and candy. Right, right. And being, <laughs> and being that my family didn't have, you know, very much as far as income, you know, I had to figure out how to supply that for myself. So that's why I started going to make, you know, a little bit of money around the neighborhood that way. Um, you know, and I've always had a job in some form or fashion. So that was really the first thing that I did. I had a paper route which taught me how to manage money and to really value it because, um, at least back when I was a paper girl, we used to not only have to deliver the paper, but we also had to go collect the money at the end of the month so that way we could take from it our part of the profit. Oh, and, I remember um, those days, yes. <laughs> yes, and so I really encourage, you know, all parents and really all children to look to see what can they do as far as building a business for themselves because obviously that's something that we all can do in this country at any age, really. There's no age limit to starting your own business. Unlike being an employee, you have to be of a certain age to do that, right? Um, But just to continue with that story, I decided to study business as a major in college because I wanted to be able to 
you know, basically be able to work for anybody. Because, of course, I was still employee-minded at that time, and I figured business was a wide enough field that I could uh, take that skill and go make money no matter where I was around the world, uh-huh. you know. And um, that led me to um, going to school at Washington State University. I studied um, information technology undergrad, but then decided to go study, pursue my MBA. The one thing I skipped over is throughout all of this, I've always had some kind of quote-unquote side hustle, right? Uh, when I was in college, I had a beauty supply that I started with a friend of mine, so I used to drive back and forth from Washington State University to the Tri-Cities um, <laughs> to, to help run our shop. And, and just that experience, just, you know, by that time I was 24 years old, but for the last 14 years in some form or fashion, I've either run my own business or worked for somebody else or, you know, had to figure out how to make money work for me, you know, uh-huh. stretch in essence. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I can, I can take a, a penny and turn it into a dollar if I need to, you know. <laughs> you know I want to hear more <laughs> about I'm sure our listening audience wants to, too. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, okay, so I can tell you a little bit more about that. So I was a, a teenage parent at the age of 16, had my first child, and, um, you know, again, I had to work um, in order to be able to provide for not only myself but now this child that I had. And so oftentimes, you know, you, you needed diapers or, you know, formula or whatever you needed, clothes or whatever. And so I learned very quickly how important it was to n- not – shop necessarily at a Nordstrom to get what you needed, but oftentimes I would go to a place, um, well, here in Washington State, we have something that's called Grocery Outlet, where it used to be canned food uh, warehouse, I think, back in the day. Uh And so when I say, Uh you know, taking a penny and stretching out to be a dollar, either I figured out a way to make more money from money, either to, let's say, you took 50 cents and bought something, and then, let's say, at school, (laughs) which was in my early days, we used to go buy, like, candy. And then we would, um, like, let's say you bought a a dollar's worth of candy, and then you would divide that candy out and maybe sell pieces of it out to your friends for, like, 15 cents a piece or 25 cents a piece, and before you knew it, that dollar turned into three. And then you just keep doing that. So that's what a lot – I know a lot of kids right now are doing that in school. Um, But also the other way that you can make money stretch is just by not buying things at retail, finding a way that you can buy them more at a wholesale or at a discounted rate so that way your money would last for you much longer, right? And so it was a blessing that I grew up with having to figure out how to make it work for me and also having the, um, uh, I don't want to say support, but, you know, my father, I should say, reiterating to me that this is the best way to go. So these concepts have always been a part of just my being growing up. And um, unfortunately, when I speak to many of my friends, especially when I was, you know, in college, for instance, uh, I didn't have parents to pay for my college. So, you know, I went out and I had to apply for scholarships. So that's free money. Uh People don't realize that when you apply for scholarships to go to school, you can on average make like, I think on average I was making about $2,500 an hour just in Uh how long it took me to apply for these scholarships and given the money that I receive the return to pay for school. The other thing that people don't realize is that when you receive scholarships in college for college, it counts as income. So I was actually able to, I bought my dream car at the time, which was a, a, a um, it was a Toyota RAV4. I had wanted one of those since they came out back in 2007. So by the time, or not 2007, 1997. So by the time uh, 
2003 came around and I was in college, I was able to pay off half of the cost of the car. And I, at that time, I didn't even have uh, uh, much of an income, but they used my scholarship income to count as a regular income for me, and it made it look like I made a lot more money. So wow. these things I would have never so, have thought of. Yes. So, okay, so I want to ask you this question. Um, I want to interject here, though, uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, Go to the King Ministry Hope for Today is a Christian organization, and this is a Christian broadcast, so we can talk about God all we want. And there are many mm-hmm. biblical principles relating to financial stewardship. And one in particular that sort of lays a good solid foundation is that God is our source. So if we look to money as our end-all and be-all, then sometimes we can end up allowing it to manage us. And, again, we're not going to answer that question for our listening audience. So I wanted to say that money is not our source. And But do we need it? Yes. And you just gave some wonderful examples of how you learned at an early age to make it work for you. So we we need to manage it appropriately when we have it and then to have a proper view of money and its worth. So a few other biblical principles that I want to mention are giving, saving, keeping out of debt, hard work, keeping good financial records, and those are just to name a few. So you just told us a lot about your family history, your mother's side, your father's side, how you were able to embark on the beginnings of your financial services, professional career while you were in college. You learned how to make your tuition money work for you. I'd like for you to tell us a little bit more about how money works in our society and then also the importance of being financially literate. And then I'm going to ask you at some point in time to share some statistics if you have. But before, I want you to ponder that question. Before you answer, we're going to go to a short break, and then we'll be right back. Okay? So hold tight. Okay, thank you. Okay, all right, welcome back. So how does society, how does money work in our society? And then what's the importance of being financially illiterate? Okay, great question. Well, I'm going to tell you, so after graduating from Washington State University, um, like I said before, I'd had my business um, in the beauty industry. I decided to move up here to Seattle, took a job with the Boeing Company, And within just a couple of years working with the Boeing company, the people that were mentoring and coaching me to take over their jobs, because, of course, they were looking to retire, all of a sudden were experiencing the correction in the market. Many people remember back in 2007 and 2008 where many of the people in our um, United States economy who'd put away money for their retirement lost anywhere between 30 to about 50% of the retirement over about an 18-month period of time. Now, that really got me curious about, well, how does all this work and how in the heck can I prevent myself from being in this situation, right? (laughs) So a lot of people don't realize that our society, we are in what is known as a capitalistic society, okay? What that means is basically businessmen privately own the means of production. So that's the resources as well as the labor, 
okay? So if you're not a capitalist, if you're not leveraging those things, you're usually the laborer where, who they're leveraging off of, okay? That being said, you have to understand how money works and how you can then make it work for you. So money in, in this society, also known as currency, is something used as a medium of exchange, okay? So way back when, um, our U.S. dollar used to be have a value related to it, which was the gold standard, okay? Uh-huh. So that gave our money value. Now, over time, back in the 70s, um, Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard. So effectively, our money is today known as fiat currency, okay? So it doesn't actually really have any value outside of what we believe its value is. The other thing that was very interesting to me is if you notice, like many of us that live in Seattle might take off and go vacation in in, um, another country, maybe even Canada, and I started visiting Canada when I was in my early college days. It was interesting to me how I could take a dollar here but go buy a dollar fifty worth of products and services in Canada. Or conversely, when I was over in um, finishing my graduate degree, I finished my graduate degree in Norway. When I went to Norway, a pound of hamburger was an equivalent of 15 U.S. American dollars. Okay, so when you start – isn't that crazy? (laughs) Yeah. So when you start exposing yourself to that, it really starts to – well, people like me anyways, I start becoming very curious on how in the world does this work? How come hamburger is $15 in one country, but I come back home to make some spaghetti, and it's only like, you know, $5 maybe? Uh Uh-huh. So – you have to understand um, how the economy works and, you know, what your role in it really is. Okay, where do you fit into the system? Um, it's also very important to understand concepts. So the concepts, when you talk about being financially literate, you really need to understand how it's wealth created or destroyed because that's uh-huh. where your responsibility comes in. Okay, now there are certain concepts that have not been taught to us in this country, unfortunately, things such as compounding interest right? Most middle school and high school students should be learning what is known as the rule of 72, which helps you understand that when you earn a specific interest rate on either a bank account or some other kind of interest-bearing account that you might put your money in, it'll help you understand how quickly that money will grow, okay? Uh You also need to understand how taxes work and what type of accounts or investments or any other type of medium where you keep your money, how is the government going to come back and say, well, how much do you owe us for participating in this particular type of account, right? And a lot of people don't think about that as well. Because in this country, taxation is a major wealth killer, right? So if you don't strategize properly and say, well, hey, you know, I'm okay with being an employee even though employees – have some of the highest tax rates versus, okay, I'm going to be, uh, you know, be a business owner where business owners oftentimes get tremendous tax breaks for the things that they do in business, okay? In the long run, that's going to tremendously affect what you can then either retire on or pass off Uh to that next generation, okay? So when you look at, you know, um, for instance, um, I come from the black community. You look at the black community, and that was always a curious thing to me, being a black person in a predominantly white and Hispanic community where, you know, at that time I felt like a lot of the black people that I knew didn't really have much as far as wealth was concerned. But my European and Asian and even some of my friends that had come from Africa, they were coming here and building up wealth for themselves, 
right? Mm-hmm. So when you talk about financial literacy, you really need to understand some of the core concepts and also a little bit about law. So in a capitalist society, law and finance are really king, and you need to really understand that. And they don't teach us that, unfortunately, but we all have the resources, especially with the Internet now, to go out and to look up what we need to know. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, my background, I have a, an, an MBA, a Master's in Business Administration, and even uh-huh. with that education, I wasn't taught financial literacy. It wasn't until after college where I started becoming curious because of what I saw what was going on with a lot of my friends and coworkers, right? Um, so that re- really leads us into personal financial accountability, right, which is really the single most important trait that defines what your personal financial success will be, okay? Um, we're all accountable for our own lives, Right. And even though there might be a lot of information that's left out, we really need to um, take ownership in where we want to end up in life and plan accordingly, right? Uh So going back, I was talking about a little bit about my own youth and some of the things that um, I experienced as far as things that people told me, my own experience as far as being self-employed or finding, you know, seeking out opportunities for myself. And now there are a lot of um, destructive behaviors um, that we all engage in, especially in this country, right, uh, from youth. If you look at well, what's usually in front of our, our faces on the television set, right, uh-huh. commercials, what are commercials there for? To intrigue you into becoming a consumer. <laughs> yes. You know, you can't go anywhere these days without having something shoved in your face to buy. Yes. And because – money is not really taught to us on how it works, well, we think, well, when you get money, the first thing that you should do is get rid of it, <laughs> you know. And um, there's nothing wrong with acquiring things, but you've got to look at when you acquire something, what, when you exchange that dollar for that item, what was the value of the item that you just bought, right? Uh-huh. Is it something that's going to appreciate or is it going to be something that depreciates? Uh-huh. So I know when I got out of college, the first thing that I wanted to go do was buy a car. I have other friends who had other, even more advanced understanding of money than myself. The first thing that they wanted to go buy was a house. And you look at how did we fare, you know, exactly, right? And usually um, these weren't people within my community, okay? Uh The friends within my community were buying brand-new cars, living in apartments or in their parents' households, whereas some of my European friends, I should say, either had family members who had um, generational wealth, and they either already had a home that was purchased or had been bought generations prior that these newly graduated people could then move into. And if you could just imagine being able to save, you know, let's say even $1,200 a month instead of spending it to, to, to rent a home from somebody else, you can put that into the bank account, into a, not a bank account, but put it in some kind of um, other vehicle to help it grow for retirement or to buy a, a home or to do whatever, you know, for other investment means it could completely change the outcome of not only your financial future, but that of your the next generation, if that's what you so uh-huh. choose to plan for, right? Uh, but we definitely need to look at creating new habits, right? Um, one thing that's been really difficult, even as I go out and talk to my clients, I've noticed a lot of people have never thought of putting together a budget. They don't know how to put together a budget. They don't even know what should be in that budget, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, uh that's one thing that I educate on is showing people how to properly put together a budget. 
And, you know, full disclosure, I am not perfect myself. You know, I still struggle with um, some of the behaviors that were embedded in me since my youth, And but luckily I'm more aware of, of what that is. Um, yes. Also, you have to admit, you know, am I being more of a consumer than a saver? Uh-huh. And uh-huh. if so, what do I need to change so that way I can start putting away more than what I spend in a month? I mean, I, I have a lot of, especially my single guy friends, um, young professionals, who literally each month spend about $1,000 just going out to eat and drink with their friends, traveling, just crazy. Yeah, of course, they're having a lot of fun, but the cost of your fun, you wouldn't realize that by the end of the day, had you put that money away for retirement, you're almost robbing yourself of half a million dollars in your retirement fund. Right. And. Right. Um, I've had to make people aware of what they're doing, and it's amazing just to see the reactions of, of folks when you show them, well, you know, the last 10 years you spent X amount. This is how it's going to affect your retirement capability, right? Uh-huh. Um, the other thing is diversification. I remember early, uh, way back when I was in college, many people remember when Enron went under. And yes. what happened was a lot of people that worked for the company had all of their retirement dollar in Enron stock. Enron, unfortunately, was lying about their um, financial statements, and the company wasn't doing as well as people thought, and subsequently, almost overnight, people lost all of their retirement. The funny uh-huh. thing, though, is when I found out about that, I literally, back when the, their stock was like $0.10 cents per stock, I bought like $100 worth of their stock. It went up like it went up. It went from like ten cents to fifteen cents because it used to like fluctuate before they completely took it out of the market, and I I doubled my money just by, you know, getting in and getting right back out. So uh-huh. but the, the safest way to do it is really to diversify. You shouldn't put all your, what they say, put all your eggs in one basket. Many of us uh-huh. remember that saying from a long time ago, and that goes, um, it, it's true as far as your retirement and, um, you know, long-term um, investment strategies go as well. Um, but definitely, uh-huh. you know, it, in my community, in our community, um, really nationally, we have a hard time with establishing trust. And trusting that the information that people are sharing with us is correct or is not a scam because a lot of people have had bad experiences when it comes to money, whether somebody they lent somebody money, they didn't pay it back or whatnot. Uh-huh. We also have to think long term. We are such, oh, I should say, in this country, I, I believe that we're short-sighted, right, because we're just looking forward to what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen next week, not what's going to happen when I'm 50 or when I'm 70 or when I pass away or that next generation or two, whereas some communities think for, you know, a generation um, or 100 years in the future, right? And that's when you come across families that have, like, trust funds set up. And they're uh-huh. funding their trust funds because they know that eventually there might be a time, especially in this country, where we're on a high right now in this country, but there might be a time of where people really just don't have the resources to survive. So they're trying to set up shop now so that way that generation will be taken care of. But it all starts with self-control, right, and eliminating the fears um, in, in, in seeking out the information for ourselves and not just leaving it up for somebody else to plan for our future. Yes. So um, this, um, is a good, this is a good segue for me. We've got about two minutes left, and okay. I want to just share with uh, our listening audience, again, a couple of scriptures, Philippians 4.19, and it talks about, And my God shall supply all you need according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. And then you mentioned seeking out counsel. A lot of times we don't know what decisions we need to make or how to make those decisions, who to go to for those decisions. 
And Proverbs 15:22 says, "And without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established." And so you have shared a lot of good information. And before we run out of time, I want you to share with people our listening audience, how they can reach you in case they want to have this discussion, uh, have further discussion. So could you provide that information real quickly, and then I'll let you pick up where you left off with some closing comments for people to walk away with, those golden nuggets that you want them to have. So we've got about a minute left. So what would you like to say about how people can reach you? Okay, well, I'm here in the Seattle area, although I can work with people really around the United States. You can contact me through my website, which is www.createtheamericandream.com. My phone number, 425-615-6150. I offer a complimentary financial um, plan for anybody that's interested in discussing further about what they can do um, and really just help set up like a budget. That's where everyone needs to start, right? But um, what I would like to share with everybody, that attitude and awareness is really everything. You must be proactive when it comes to your own financial success, right? Be curious. That's really important. Get on the Internet and just start figuring out what's going on with our national 401K. What is going on with the pension plans? You guys would be very concerned about what's truly going on out there. What's going on with Social Security? Go onto the Social Security website and just read the reports that they're sending to the Congress and to the Senate every year. What's going on with long-term care? Most people don't realize the cost of, of, of medical care is so astronomical that many people are depleting their retirement accounts within just a few years because about 75% of those 65 years or older need some kind of long-term care, all right? There's many implications on what that means for generational wealth. So it's very important that people figure out what's going on, how are they going to be able to retire securely. Um, you know, don't necessarily trust the government and your corporate retirement plans because at the end of the day, they're not guaranteed. (laughs) And um, Mm -hmm. Tiffany, we are out of time, my dear, and I want to thank you for coming into the studio today. And I would like our audience to just think about how they can be fiscally responsible, prayerful, and exercise patient self-control and trust in the guidance that they receive. And with that, I'd like to say God bless you. Tiffany, would you like to say anything to our listening audience before we sign off? Nope. Just other than I'm very excited that since you guys are listening to this, hopefully you'll start making some new changes in the way you're thinking about your long-term strategies. And, again, you've got to do for you, right? So, again, be proactive and be curious. Okay. All right. Thank you again, and God bless you. Thank you. I really appreciate the time.